0: Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Let me ask you a question. you glad to be at church today? Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here also, so it works out well. If we haven't met, uh, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. If you have a copy of God's Word, physical or digital, why don't you uh, meet me in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we will be today. Let me uh, again extend a welcome to our first-time guests, also known as VIPs today. Whether you're in the room or online, we're so thankful that you're with us. McAllen family, let's make some noise for our VIPs today. If you haven't done so, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Would you text us at 97973? 0 is the phone number. Type the word B-T-V-I-P, one word, no space. We'd love to reach out to you, answer any questions you might have about our church. And uh, thank you for being with us. That being said, I do want to welcome the BT Online family. Let's make some noise for those watching online today. And then also part of our family that I I, I don't often enough uh, recognize and celebrate. Also our ASL family right over here, our deaf community. So thankful to have y'all today and... Our amazing interpreters, right? Um, you ever want to get the full 3D experience in worship? Listen to the the worship team leading us in song, and then look over here at our interpreters, and it's it's something else. So, uh, so thankful that we our um, church for everyone. Amen. And so. Uh, glad to have all of y'all. Also, I uh, want to celebrate uh, those of you that volunteered your time. You showed up as part of the Dream Team. Uh, I want to thank our staff. I want to thank uh, Jenny Newcomb, who I think helped lead uh, the efforts, and Nida Quintanilla, all those that helped make BT look like a Christmas wonderland, right? Uh, so let's give it up for all those people that helped <laughs> this week, gave up some time, uh, looks great, and uh, we are thankful to celebrate uh, this season together. Uh, Ultimately, uh, we love to celebrate things at BT, and we believe that celebration is a discipline. I say it every week, you don't do it, you get bad at it, right? And so we celebrate the movement of God, and if you're not aware of this, this is truly a revival, okay? We are seeing God move in supernatural ways, and so far this year, 346 people have gone from death to life as they have called upon the name of Jesus for salvation, And 198 people have taken the next step of obedience, uh, which is called believer's baptism. So 198 people have entered the baptistries of our campuses saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. Now, uh, we call it believer's baptism because it is a decision that a believer makes, right? Baptism cannot make you right with God. It doesn't save you. Uh, In fact, if you're getting baptized without a relationship with Jesus, you're just getting wet, right? But, but if you said yes to Jesus, it's a public declaration, right? I, I say it all the time, baptism is not a means of salvation, it's a mark of salvation. Uh, and, and, and my whole life, I, I have been a goal-oriented person. When I was young, I would write goals down, I don't know why, I don't know, glutton for punishment, because if I've made 100,000 goals in my life, I've met like 10 of them, I think, but um, more than that, but anyways, um, but I just always do that. I just make goals. And, and you know, when I don't meet a goal, uh, I, I don't beat myself up because as long as I made progress, I celebrate the progress that was made. And, and so when it comes to my, my spiritual life, I make goals all the time. I want to read the Bible this year you know, in this many days, or, or I wanna, you know, I want to do this fast. I, I make all these spiritual goals as I want to grow in my intimacy with Christ. And that just transfers to ministry. I'm making goals all the time, and I shared this last week. If you weren't here, let me share it with you. Uh, I, I'm praying that, that the Lord would allow us to celebrate this year over 250 baptisms. Um, that would be uh, the most our church has ever done in a 12-month period, so that's awesome, right? Be a part of history there. And, and if you're like, oh, I don't know what I think about that, that's fine. It's not your goal. It's my goal, so leave me alone, all right? Um, but, but listen, we, we've done 198. If we get to the end of this year and we've done 198, you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate 198 people going public with their faith. But I And people would say, you know, you waited too long to make that goal, Chris. You should have said at the beginning of the year because newsflash, let this sink in, next Sunday is December. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was February and next Sunday is December. I don't know how that works. Um, and, and so I get it, you know. That we've we've got just a, a few weeks left in the year, but, but here's the reality. I think as people keep getting saved, if they'll take that step of obedience, getting to 250 is not gonna be a problem. And let me just say this, I'm convinced that there are some people right now in this room or maybe watching online and you've given your life to Jesus, you've made that decision, you've received the free gift of salvation, but for whatever reason, you haven't been baptized yet as a believer. And, and so I, I just think that it's completely a realistic goal to meet. And so uh, I said this at our 9 a.m. service here in McAllen, and so it's officially been decreed as law. Um, I thought since we want to, you know, celebrate baptisms, what better way than to have a baptism party? You guys on board for a baptism party? All right. That's, that's about as not excited as you could be while faking excited, but I'll take it. So here's the deal. December 18th, we're having a baptism party uh, at BT Church. It's Sunday morning. We're going to worship. We're going to have a great time, but we're going to celebrate one baptism, a hundred. I don't know. I know two people signed up last service for the baptism party. Uh, and so here, here's the deal. If you want to get baptized on the 18th, just stop by our info center. Leave them your name and contact info so we can reach out. Um, and we would love to celebrate that. Listen, you want to get baptized today? Guess what? We'll celebrate it today. Uh, and so we just celebrate the movement of God and the work of God in the life of our church and I'm, I'm so excited uh, to be here In this season. Speaking of seasons, today marks the beginning of what we call Advent. Advent comes from the Latin term adventus, it means coming. And so in the Christian faith tradition, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. We celebrate that when humanity was lost and without hope, right? We just sang that line, we were without hope that God made a way for a hope to be ushered in, and and that person's name is Jesus. And so we celebrate the coming of Jesus as we recognize Advent. And the funny thing about the Christmas season is that really no matter where you are or who you are, for most people, not everyone, but for most people, this time of year kind of unexplainably ushers in feelings of hope. Now, I acknowledge, listen to me, there are some of us in the family that this year will be the first Christmas you celebrate without the loved one that you lost this year. I recognize that. This will be for some, yet another Christmas you celebrate without that loved one. This will be the first Christmas for some that you celebrate alone as you went through a painful divorce this year. It'll be maybe uh, the first Christmas that you celebrate and and you lost your job, and so there's not going to be a lot of celebrating because times are tough. I recognize this time of year that, that sometimes our hurts feel like they're under a magnifying glass, right? Because while all the lights and all the hope and all the excitement kind of rise to the surface, sometimes so do our problems. But at the end of the day, I believe that there's an awareness of hope at this time of year. Now, listen, I get it that in the, in the Christian faith tradition, there's differing opinions on, should we even recognize Christmas or should we not? And if we recognize it, we should celebrate Jesus. It's all been commercialized and lots of truth to that. And you, no, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't put, you know, decorate or make a big deal about it. Let me just say a few things. That, I believe that's a matter of personal conviction. And if anyone in the room or online, you, you believe personally that, you know, the, all the stuff that we kind of culturally celebrate, you're like, that's not for me. That's awesome, right, because it's personal conviction. We choose to celebrate in that way here. Uh, Jesus is still the focal point, right? At the end of the day, all of the personal conviction and why I say that is unless someone, and, and if that's the case, we need to deal with it, unless someone is worshiping, right, lights and trees uh, and, and all those things, which can be done, okay? It happened in the Old Testament, by the way. There are, there are some passages in the Old Testament where people say we shouldn't have Christmas trees because it... But, but what was happening like in Jeremiah is they were literally worshiping idols made from trees. You get that? Like it was an idol, which is an object of worship. If someone is worshiping a Christmas tree, that's a big no-no. Like first commandment level, okay? But, but if they're not, and, and that's part of worshiping Jesus, anyways, I'm, that's not what I'm here for. So let's keep going. What I'm getting at is this season, it just kind of ushers in, even sometimes in the middle of heartache, hopefulness. I want you to do something with me. I want you to think about a time in your life where things seemed hopeless, right? Uh, Maybe there was even like a sense of dread in your life. And then like in a moment's notice, hope came rushing in. You ever had that happen? Like all seemed lost, right? You got pulled over and you're going 25 over the speed limit and you get a warning, right? I mean, you're you're, you're headed for handcuffs and you get a warning, whatever it might be. It's funny how hope works, right? How in a moment, things can shift. I I was thinking about my life this week. I'll share two stories with you. Let's get to know each other a little better, right? Um, One of them kind of silly, one of them pretty serious. When I was a freshman in college, at the end of my first semester of college, first semester away from home, away from mom and dad, proving that I can do it on my own, I came to that time of the year where every college student has to face the instrument of the devil known as finals, right? And and so one morning, I'm asleep in my dorm, top bunk, and I hear the phone ringing. Not my iPhone, but like the phone connected to the wall. And so I wake up, and I'm like, oh, who's calling me so early in the morning? I look at my alarm clock. Again, not my phone, you know, like the rectangular cube that had red numbers, and you set it to your favorite radio station, and it woke you up with static. Anyways. I look at my, you know, it's so early in the morning, and I look at my alarm clock, and it said, like, I think it said 9.35. Who calls that early, right? No. It said 9.35, and in a moment's no, I, I, my heart sank. Because when I looked at the clock, the first thing I thought of is the fact that at 9 a.m. I had a final in English Composition 1, and to miss the final, that there is no way I'm passing the class. That is a semester's worth of tuition down the tube. I can envision my parents telling me I'm moving home and I'm getting a job and I'm, you know, everything is falling apart. But then the phone's still ringing. And so I, you know, I reach down for the top monk and I grab the phone and I answer it both panicked and half awake and hello. Now listen, I went to a really small university. There are pros and cons to going to small universities and big universities. Here is a pro of going to a small one. I reached down, I answered the phone, barely awake, and on the other end was Dr. Kimry, my English Comp 1 professor. I said, hello? He said, is this Chris? I said, yes. He said, Chris, this is Dr. Kimry, and I'm just giving you a courtesy call that at 9 a.m. today, you had a final for English Comp 1. If you can get here before 9.45, you can still take it. I then put on my gold track shoes, and I broke every record known to man as I sprinted across campus in pajama pants, right? Took the final... It's not part of the story, but I'll share it and made an A. And uh, got credit for the course, right? Just like that, hope is ushered in. On a much more serious note, and and I've shared this story many times. It's a big part of my wife and I's uh, journey. In 2012, when our youngest son was born, many of you are aware of the fact that we didn't really know what to expect when he would be born because he had a diagnosed condition that that could very well mean he wouldn't be able to walk. We, we, we didn't know if he would be able to move his lower extremities, his legs. And so that day, it's a scheduled C section. And as the doctor is removing our son from the womb, my breath is being held as I'm waiting for something that my wife, we had three kids already. Plenty of parents see this and celebrate. So, you know, when a baby's born, one of the first things they do is they draw their legs up, right? Because it's cold. They just left a warm womb and now they're cold, right? First, one of the first things, and so as as our son is being taken out of the womb, there's there's a stillness, and then just like that, as he makes his first cry, his legs are drawn up to his chest. Doctors crying, I'm crying, my wife's behind the church like, what's happening? I'm like, he's moving his legs, you know, because there was uncertainty. And the funny thing about hope is even when there's uncertainty and even when there's despair, the beauty of hope is that it starts to usher in certainty and it starts to usher in promise. And the reason why there can be hope in any situation is Jesus. And so today, great Sunday to be at church. We're starting a brand new series. And it's always good to be at church on the first sermon of a series. Now, the rule is you can't miss. So don't get sick or don't go out of town, right, till Christmas, Um, But we're starting a series called The Thrill of Hope, because Jesus truly is the greatest thrill of hope there is, that humanity was hopeless, was in darkness, was without purpose, and was destined for eternity just like that. But by the grace of God, according to his plan, Jesus would leave heaven and come to earth live without sin, die on a cross and pay for sin, walk out of a tomb and defeat sin. And because of that, when we call upon his name, there is a thrill of hope. That doesn't mean there's not darkness, it means the light is brighter. And so this Advent season, we're kind of flipping the script. Normally we'd start Advent by talking about the birth of Jesus. We're gonna go back to the very beginning today. And for the next few weeks leading up to our celebration on Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. and Christmas Day at 11 a.m., we're gonna work our way towards the celebration of the birth of Jesus, but today we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm calling this sermon A New Hope, because in Genesis chapter 3, where we find humanity, we find them in a place where they need hope. Many of you know the story. If you don't, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, same story, by the way, just different means of telling. Genesis chapter 1 is a poem, and Genesis chapter 2 is a narrative or a story, same thing. And so if you don't know the story or you're kind of fuzzy on it, God spoke everything into creation. Everything exists because God said so. And as he is painting creation with his words, he gets to the crown of creation, which is people. He he said, let us make man in our image. And so there's the thumbprint of God on people. And so humanity is created, male and female, he created them. That's Adam and Eve. Eve, right? And and there is no separation between God and man. Things are good. Those are God's word, not mine. So Genesis 1 and 2, things are going well. At creation, God gave humanity one restriction, right? He said, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the Garden of Eden. We know it as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate from this thing called the tree of life, which would mean that they weren't going to die. But he said, don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden because if you do, you will surely die. Well, again, you probably know the story, but Satan, our adversary, our accuser, our enemy, the devil shows up in the garden in the form of a serpent and he tempts Adam and Eve, right? He says, listen, <laughs> you're not going to die if you eat from that tree. You're going to become just like God. Like You think what you are now is good? Imagine being him. And what happened is they traded the truth for a lie and let me just say this it sounds harsh but we need to understand what sin is. Sin is always calling God a liar. That's what is. You lie to get better position in a relationship? God's a liar. He's not enough for you. You lie to get ahead in business? God's a liar. His provision is not enough for you. You 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 whatever it is, you 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 act on the sinful desires of lust. God's a liar. His plans are not best for you. Sin is always calling God a liar in some way, shape, or form. Adam and Eve said that God was lying, that he was holding out on them, and so they ate of the fruit, and then things went downhill. And so as we start our discussion of the thrill of hope, what we have to understand first and foremost, beloved, is this. The reason why we need hope, is because there is indeed a problem. Write that down, the problem. H- hope is needed when a problem is present, right? There's no problem. You don't have to do anything to be hopeful for, right? If I woke up on time and made it to class, I wouldn't need the hope of my professor calling me to get me to class that day. Uh, if there was no illness and, and, and no prenatal conditions, we wouldn't have needed the hope when Luke was born that he would be able to walk, right? Problems present the need for hope. Let's look at how this is presented in Genesis chapter 3 starting in verse 8. After the sin it says this then man the, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" And he said, "I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid." And then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And this is where the man should say, yes, sir. (laughs) But the man replied, the woman you gave me. He just blamed Eve and God, like two for one right there. Did you eat from the tree? Did, Did Adam eat from the tree? Yeah, what's the answer? Yes. The woman you gave me, she... She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. And so the Lord God asked the woman, what is this thing you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Did she eat? So what's the answer? Yes. Well, well, there, there was a serpent. Who let him in? Not me. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so just like that, there is a problem present. In the text. Just like that, there's a problem. And in a moment's notice, man went, humanity went from being in right standing with God to being separated from God. And and the problem of sin, and you know what the problem? The problem is sin, and it's now sorrow, and it's now death. All of these things get ushered in because of the problem that they did not believe God. It says when they ate, they, they realized that they were naked. Why was that such a big deal? You ever think about that? Like they had, we don't know how long it was, how long creation had been in existence before this. It could have been thousands of years for all we know. But why, why, why the first thing? Whoa, nobody told me I didn't have any clothes. Like what was, do you know why? Because sin brings Shame. It, it wasn't the fact that they didn't have clothes on. It's the fact that for the first time, humanity was shameful. And, and so they, they realized that they're, that they're, they're, they're naked and they, they make some like, you know, leaf, and fruit of the looms, they make some leaf coverings. And then the tragic part, when God steps into the garden, I believe physically pressing down the earth, walking with them in physical form, when God steps into the garden, they run and hide. Let that sink in. How tragic and foolish is that? Foolish why? David tells us that there's nowhere he can go to flee from God's presence. God is omni present and so it is foolish to hide from him because he cannot be hidden from right but we try to today don't we why do we try to hide from god because we can hide from each other so we think we can do it to him right husbands and wives can hide from each other can hide what they look at online hide the flirtation at work they can hide that kids can hide what they're doing from their parents. Parents can hide what they're doing from their kids. We can hide the way that we are lying and cheating at work from our boss. We we, we can hide stuff from each other. So somewhere along the way, we foolishly think we can hide from God. But it's not just foolish. It's tragic. That humanity who had walked lockstep with God all that time now feels the need to hide from him. That's the enemy, beloved. You know why they hid from him? Guilt, right? When when you see the high speed chase on the news channel, why is the person speeding away from the police? Guilt. Because they felt guilt, like shame and guilt, byproduct of the problem, because they felt guilt, they thought the answer was to hide the problem. This is why the enemy is so crafty. What they forgot is that the presence of God is not the source of condemnation, but of freedom. Hear, hear me, there's something we have to understand. i got to say some hard words. There is only one time that the presence of God is condemnation, and that is to, le- <laughs> <Excuse me. coughs> to leave this life without the security of salvation, and to face him in the next. You catch that? To go through this life, not talking about baptism, church attendance, confirmation, Sunday school record, want nothing. I'm not talking about, that's religious activity. I'm talking relational identity. To go through this life and not call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. When you get to the next life, this might be controversial or offensive, but the Bible is my standard. There is no opportunity After this life, there is no purgatory, there is no second chance. It is appointed once for man to die and to face judgment. If you have said yes to Jesus, the judgment is well and done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into paradise. If you have not said yes to Jesus, it is eternity apart from him. That is the only time that God's presence brings condemnation. The Bible is clear. We don't all get on the bus to heaven somehow. Oh, how is God so cruel that he sends people to hell? No, no. People send people to help. We reject Jesus. How gracious that he would let anyone into his presence. But until, listen, you haven't taken your last breath yet, right? I haven't killed you with a sermon, amen. Until that last breath is drawn, God's presence is not one of condemnation, but freedom, where the sinner says, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I believe he died on the cross for my sin and rose again in victory. I believe this for salvation. And what's so tragic is that humanity forgot that and they thought that his presence, they thought his presence would just bring condemnation upon their guilt instead of freedom from it this beloved is a very real problem in fact it's the greatest problem we still deal with today the effects of sin in our life of sorrow of death and loss all of these realities and and when God shows up and he calls out to to Adam where are you And Adam says, I was naked, so I hid. And he says, who who, who told you you were naked? You know what God is saying? He is saying, son, you're out of place. The place being right standing, right fellowship. God looks and he says, listen, you're you're out of place. And beloved, this season, at the start of the Christmas season, I, I know as I look across the room, there are people that are out of place. And sometimes this season, the hope that it ushers up, it brings with it feelings of despair. But beloved, here's the beauty of Jesus. God loved us so much that he didn't let the problem have the final say. Satan did his very best and it was pretty good. But the problem, you know what it can't do? The problem can never cancel the promise. Write that down, the promise the reason why we celebrate Advent is not because there's a problem for humanity, it's that there's a promise for humanity. It's the fact that there is hope and that person's name is Jesus. Because back in the text, after the, the, the dialogue where Adam blamed Eve and God and Eve blamed the deception of the serpent, listen to what happens next in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock. And more than any wild animal, you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put hostility, some versions say enmity, right? I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike, some versions say crush, your head. And you will strike, some versions say bruise, his heel. And there is the source of the promise at the pinnacle of humanity's hopelessness. God is flexing his authority right here. He, he's looking to the serpent. And, and by the way, do you, do you know why Satan is so determined to, to, to crush us? One, he hates us. Okay, just understand, he hates you. The sin that, that you and I partake of that we think is either just a little white, like not a big deal, or we think is somehow fulfilling, it, it's just it's just It's just hate. That's all it is. But but Satan's not God, okay? Understand. They're they're not opposite equals. We gotta get away with that trash. Just do away with it. They're not opposing forces. Who's gonna win? It's creator and created being, right? They're not equal. God wins all the time, every time. No competition, right? And so what we need to understand is that God, Satan is not God. He doesn't have all the power. He doesn't have all the knowledge, but he does know that God doesn't lie. And so here in the text, when God says to Adam and he says to the serpent that, that the, the, the descendant, the seed, the offspring of the woman is going to crush your head, what I believe, my commentary Satan knows, is that one of her descendants is bad news for Satan, So if he can derail humanity, maybe somehow he can bypass this promise of God. But what Satan doesn't know is that God's promises always come to pass. See, he's a covenant-making covenant, not contract, covenant, life-giving relationship. He's a covenant-making God, therefore he's a covenant-keeping God. His promises can't fail, they won't fail. And so he says, he says, listen, this woman, and you see how gracious God is? He says, "I'm this woman, right, humanity whom you try to make useless, <laughs> you, you want to you cast them off and make them feel like they're trash? No, 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 no. no. I'm going to invite them into the plan. You catch that? You realize God could have brought all this about without humanity's help. He says, you, you, you've, you've tried to, to, to tarnish, and, and, and you've done a good job. You've, you've messed things up pretty good, Satan, but I'm going to invite my creation back into my plan so that the offspring of this woman, he's going to crush your head. Quick, quick poll here. What do you think is a more devastating blow, a crushed head or a bruised heel, right? Crushed head, like knockout punch every time, right? Jesus would give his life. He would die a physical death on a cross. There was a bruised heel, but he would walk out of the tomb in victory. There is also a crushed head of the enemy. It is the promise of God that in the midst of problems, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow and despair, his word reigns true. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the scholars of the world call that. You ready for the fancy word of the day? Wow. Okay. Okay rewind. You ready for the fancy word of the day? I feel so good. Yeah. So here you go. Fancy word of the day. Two parts. Say this with me. Say proto, Proto. right? Proto evangelion. Say that. Put it together. Proto evangelion. Then you kind of like laugh in a real Like (laughs) I'm so smart. Anyways, here you go. That's what theologians do. That word, that word literally means first gospel. Okay. Proto, first, Evangelion, gospel, first gospel. And, and scholars say that Genesis 3, 14 and 15 is the first gospel because God in the midst of humanity's despair says, I'm gonna fix this. Now, I argue, and I, I'm not a scholar, so you know, I don't have a leg to stand on, but I argue that it actually, you go back to verse nine, not verse 14. I believe when God says, where are you? That's the beginning of the gospel declaration. More on that later, all right? So we have a problem that we chose sin. You're like, well, you know, I didn't choose sin. Adam and Eve messed it up. That's what the Bible says. They sinned and it reigned in our mortal bodies. We inherit sin at conception, right? We, we get it in our DNA. You're like, well, that's not fair. I promise you if no one had sinned before you, you would have messed it up. And if I was born before you, I would have messed it up, all right? So let's just accept that fact. And so we're not, we don't become sinners, we're born sinners. That's why we don't teach our kids how to say mine, right? Or no. I mean, it's just, it's part of our, we, we, we are born with a problem. But the beauty of the Christmas season is that God has made a promise. That there can be hope. There can be that thrill of hope. That, that in the midst of despair and darkness and hopelessness where all seems lost, there is a name above every name. And when we call upon that name time and time again, when we rest in that name, when we obey that name, it is in that relationship that our problems, guess what? They don't get to trump the promise. As bad as it gets, the the problem never gets to, is never allowed to cancel the promise of God. I say it again, his promises can't be stopped and they won't be stopped. So so we've got a problem and we have a promise how does the promise get applied to our lives third thing i want you to write down is the word person the word person which you jump with me in your bible to matthew chapter one matthew chapter one first book of the new testament we are born into this world with a problem That problem is sin, sorrow, and death, and it reigns in our bodies. There's nothing we can do. We can't go to church enough, pray enough, give enough. Nothing we can do. But the good news is there is a promise of God that that problem can be dealt with, and the way the problem is dealt with is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the offspring of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent. In Matthew chapter 1, this is what we read about the person of Jesus, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now now listen, you're like, what's? they're engaged. Why are they divorcing? Okay, If if you're not real familiar with the story, Culture was a tad bit different than our day, right? Uh, today, people get engaged, right? And then they get married, and until marriage, right, they're not in our culture covenantly bound, right? And so, I'm not saying that it's not heartache and what's happened to you, it's definitely not a laughing matter, but there are lots of stories of people who get engaged and someone calls it off, right? It's really not a big deal. Not that way at this time. Uh, it was called the betrothal period. Really, to use our language, once you were engaged, y- you, were, you were married, you were, you were in covenant. And so to break that off wasn't just to say, hey, here's your ring back, right? It, it was to have to go through the process of divorce. The difference was between a, the betrothal time and what we would call the, the time of marriage, there was no sexual intimacy. And so that's what's happening here. Mary and Joseph, they're betrothed, they're committed, they're, they're, they've started that covenant, they have not been sexually intimate, right? And so it is during this time that Mary shows up to Joseph, right? She got visited by an angel who says, good news, you're going to have a baby. She's like, ah, I don't think so. But Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so, and so now Mary goes to Joseph. Imagine that conversation, ladies, right? Hey, Joe, so uh, I'm pregnant. Good news is Holy Spirit's the father. I've been faithful, right? So, now listen, did Joseph believe her? Did he not? It's not in the story. What we do know is that Joseph thought, I've got to get out of this. This is, you know, this is a disgraceful reality because he was righteous. He did not want to disgrace Mary. So he's planning to divorce her in secret. But then, verse 20, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. And so this is why, just side note, this is why it's critical to our belief system that we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Because the Bible teaches us that through human conception, sin is transferred. You get that? Mother and father come together and sin is transferred. Because Mary was a virgin, Jesus never inherited the sin nature. That's why he's called sometimes the second Adam. Adam was created without sin, Jesus was born without it. The difference, Jesus never chose it. And so being born without sin, Jesus is born sinless, but Colossians 1, full of power. Colossians 1 says all things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for him. He is full of power, and without sin he is positioned to take our place as the sacrificial lamb he is the person by which hope becomes a reality hope is not some you know pie in the sky wish it is a reality and the reality's name is jesus It is through the authority of God. When he said the the offspring of the woman will crush your head, God flexed his authority. He always keeps his word. Jesus would be born of the virgin. He would live without sin. He would sinlessly go to the cross because the wages of sin is death. He would give his life as a ransom for many. And when he died, he paid the debt of sin. But when he rose, he defeated the power of sin so that all who believe in him Believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and God raised Him from the dead. They will be saved. This Advent season, we have hope in the midst of problems. The answer isn't to pretend like there's no problems. It's to acknowledge there's a promise and a person, right? That that the person of Jesus and His promises are always fulfilled, and they are always greater and stronger than the problems of this world. Beloved, listen to me. Because of Jesus, here's the truth. If You've said yes to Jesus. Your problems will never overcome you again unless you let them. Unless you let them. You can give that type of power to that problem, but on its own, it can never. Your problems, they're real. I got problems. They're real. Sorrow, despair, depression, financial woes, health woes, relational woes, all the problems of this world, they cannot overcome you because Paul would write in Romans chapter 8 that because of Jesus we are now overcomers right we are not those who are overcome we are over overcomers more than conquerors So that when we go through this problem-filled life, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the Bible says, the author and perfecter of our faith. And with our eyes fixed on Jesus, it doesn't mean the problem's not real, it means that he's just better. And so we start the Christmas season probably with lots of problems in this room and online, probably with lots of heartache and sorrow. But if we could start the Advent season fixing our eyes on Jesus instead of the problems, the narrative changes the narrative changes and we live as overcomers like we're supposed to. When we realize that the person of Jesus has secured the promise of God so that the problems of this world have to go away, then it changes things in a real and radical way. And listen to me, listen to me. The problem of sin has created lots of effects, right? I mean, the problem of sin, it's, as I said already, it's ushered in shame. So many people, Living shame filled lives. It's ushered in pride, right? What is this thing you've done, Eve? Well, the, 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 the serpent deceived me. We, we, we can't acknowledge our own shortcomings when pride raises its ugly head right it's ushered in disunity and division it's uh, it's ushered in lust it's ushered in lies it's ushered in greed and malice and slander all of these sinful realities but with that it's ushered in sorrow and heartache and loss all of these realities have been ushered in because of the problem but the person of Jesus overcomes all of that so we don't have to walk in shame and guilt and condemnation, and we don't have to give in to lust, and we don't have to act on that greed, and we don't have to act on that pride, and we don't have to let the sorrow, listen, we may mourn, but not as those without hope, right? We don't have to let the sorrow reign in our hearts. We take it back to King Jesus time and time again, trusting him to make things new for us. And so, so, so how do we package all this practically? How do how, how do we walk away from here today, understanding the person of Jesus fulfills the promise of God, so the problems of this world have to go away? How do we start to really put our hands on that? Let me, let me give you some handles. Here's the first thing. Would, would, would you start this Christmas season focusing on the promise? Listen, listen, some of you came in here, and the problems got all your attention, and it's real. You, you've recently gone through a divorce, you're, you're maybe in the middle of one, you're, you're single and, and longing and praying for marriage, you're without kids and praying for kids, you're praying for your prodigal kids to come home, you're dealing with a situation at work, your finances are out of whack, you've got a health situation, you've lost a loved one. Fill in the blank, right? Your problems are real. But the only reason why they magnify and amplify is because we get our eyes off of the promise. And so, what does it mean, right? It's real. It's real good preacher talk. Focus on the promise. What does that mean? You focus on the promise by by engaging with God. That, that's how that works. You you wait for it. Broken record part of the sermon. You get into the Word of God, right? You actually, you engage. Listen, if I told you how amazing my wife is every week and and how she's the best, the the best person I've ever known and and she's so, and I told you all these things, but I never actually spent time with her to verify that, right? There'd be a problem. You can believe that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. You can say that in church, but until you focus on Jesus, listen to me, I'm all for for the saying, but until you focus on Jesus, it's just a cliche. The goodness of God all the time becomes real when you choose him above all else. And so you focus on Jesus. You get in the word of God. Like, Chris, I don't know where to start. Here you go. It's Christmas. Start in the gospel of Mark and read about the life of Jesus. Just read a chapter a day. Slowly read. Underline some things. Read. read go to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Read one chapter a day for a month. December 1st, coming up this week. Start on the 1st of December. Read the first five psalms, right? Just just start somewhere, but engage with God's word and, and let his word get in you. You get in the word, it gets in you. Commit times of the day for prayer, not just your Christmas wish list of what you need God to do, but your recognition of what he's already done. It's called thanksgiving. Your adoration for who he is, right? Your confession of those things where, where you have given into sin and temptation, start to, to mark off times for prayer, prioritize as you're doing the corporate worship with the body of Christ. Choose community, use your gifts to serve. All of those things are ways that you start to focus on the promise instead of the problem. 90% of the time in my ministry when I have dealt with people that are overcome with the problems in their lives, 90% of the time they are not focusing on the person of Jesus. The problem has gotten so big in their mind that they have have abandoned Bible study, abandoned church, they've they've abandoned prayer and they wanna know why God isn't near. Here's your first handle. You wanna go through this Christmas season with some hope in your heart? Focus on the promise and the person of Jesus, not the problems of this world. Second, share the hope you have. Share it. How how, how do you do that? Here's an easy one. Decide this Christmas season. Just decide to tell one person about Jesus. Like, oh, I don't know the Bible. Do, do you know what Jesus has done for you? Just decide. One person. Just pray. Listen, it's always scary. It's scary for me. It's just this is the way it works. Here's the good news. No one in this room has been commissioned the job of saving people. You can't. You, you, you and I, we're just supposed to tell them. And so what if this what if this Christmas season this advent we said I'm going to share I'm going to share the good news of Jesus with one person. Here let me go back to what I said earlier in the sermon. If you have said yes to Jesus and received the gift of salvation and you have not been baptized do you know what baptism is? We call it a public profession of faith. You know what that's sharing with the church family who Jesus is and why he's so good. I have decided to follow Jesus. Usually the person doing the baptism says, buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is a declaration of God's goodness. You could choose to get baptized and you are sharing the hope that you have. Here's the third one I sh- on sharing hope. This is real simple, just came to me today. We, we don't have to make everything this really big spiritual thing. What, what if, what if every week leading up to Christmas, Everyone who calls BT Church home, they're not all here. What if every week leading up to Christmas, every person in this room or watching online said, once a week, I'm going to find a practical way to share hope. Not every day, once a week. Let, Let me give you an easy starter. Some of you will leave here in a few minutes. I promise, we're almost done. You will leave here in a few minutes and you will go eat lunch somewhere besides your home. You will go to a restaurant. And what if at the restaurant, you, you just picked a table and you told your server, hey, I wanna buy that table's lunch, don't tell them anything, just bring me their bill please. Now listen, if you're not financially able, don't go into debt over this, all right? Like, just free advice, don't pick the party of 16. When you drive through Whataburger, say, hey, I want to pay for the car behind me. You're, you're getting coffee. Hey, I want to I buy the drink. For, that, you're like, that's, that's not spiritual. <laughs> for God so loved the world, he gave. He gave. Listen to me. Random acts of kindness, they never take the place of sharing the good news of Jesus, but it's also not either or. We share, we, we give an account of the hope within us, but one way that we can encourage people towards hope, right, because God put eternity in the hearts of humanity, is we just do small acts of kindness. If you've got to say something, say, hey, tell them that BT Church loves them. Tell them Jesus loves them. You can take one of the cards we have. It says, God has big plans for you, right? Right? But it doesn't have to be a big, big production. But you can share the hope you have simply by meeting someone else's need. So, so how, do we, how do we put handles on it? We, we focus on the promise, not the problem. We share the hope that we have within us. But then number three, check this out. Listen to me, beloved. If you have not said yes to Jesus, again, my phrase, not, relation, not, not religious activity, relational identity, not your baptism, not, not, not your family's heritage, not the candles you've lit, not the prayers you've offered, not, but the 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 recognition that you need a savior. If you have not made that decision, then all you have is a problem. All you have is a problem. I want you to go back, listen in Genesis three. I, sh- I shared earlier that that while many scholars would say the gospel is first presented in Genesis three fourteen, where God would say that the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent I I argue that the gospel is first presented in Genesis 3 9 when God says to the man where are you I I don't read that like an arresting officer come out with your hands up I I don't read that as an arresting officer I I read it as a heartbroken father where where are you And, and let me just let me just cue you in here God knew where Adam was and Adam knew where Adam was. Listen to me today. But you're not fooling anybody, including yourself. You're not okay without Jesus. Adam, Adam knew the shame that he had. He knew what he thought was the impending guilt he would face. You see, truth has a ten- tendency to come to the surface, doesn't it? But instead of an arresting officer saying, come out with your hands up. I read it with a heartbroken father saying, come out with your arms open, because mine are as well. And here's the good news. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, you're like, oh, but Chris, I've got all this mess. I've got to fix this. I can't come to Jesus when I'm living this life. Listen, you and I, we are really, really good sinners. But there is no sinner who's better at sinning than Jesus is at saving He's always a better Savior than you and I are as sinners. We just have to receive that. And today, hear me, he's still saying, where are you? He's still saying it because we don't look for him on our own. We we need him to call us to himself. And today, if you haven't said yes to Jesus this Christmas season, what a gift to receive, then the certainty of hope in your heart, not because there's no problems, but because there is a promise and a person who is better. And so today, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, before we worship and before we open the altar, whether you're in this room or online, I wanna invite you to make that decision if you would like to. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, today, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to say this prayer with me. Now, again, let me be clear. It's, it's not a, about saying a prayer. The Bible is clear. There's no magic formula we recite and everything gets better. What this is, it's a confession of salvation. This is, again, what Paul wrote in Romans 10, 9. You believe in your heart, confess your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you'll be saved. And so today, if you're here, or you're watching online, and you haven't said yes to Jesus, but you want to, you're ready for that level of hope, then I invite you to say this prayer with me right where you are. It goes like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost without you. but I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to leave heaven and come to earth. And I believe he lived without sin. And I believe he died on the cross and he paid for sin. And I believe three days later he rose again and he defeated sin. And so Jesus, Today, I trust you with my life, and I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me first. Would you help me live for you every day of my life? It's in your name that I pray. Amen.